Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. So I had a rent, a nice rent, on the street because it was a nice uh, localization near to Avenida da Liberdade that is now the spot, the stores for the tourists and everything. And so they ask people to get out because they want to sell it. And now they sell to a big group and now they are writing for double, I think a little bit more double than I was to pay. Over the past 20 years, Lisbon, the capital of Portugal, has become one of the fastest growing tourist destinations in Europe. Right before the COVID-19 pandemic, Portugal's capital was averaging 4.5 million tourists annually in a city of 500,000 residents. This means more than eight tourists for every resident, with a third of houses in Lisbon's historical center listed on websites for short-term rental services such as Airbnb. Lured by programs to attract foreign investment, new real estate developments and tourist accommodation have multiplied throughout the city. Combined with the rise of mass tourism, this has created what some critics have called the perfect storm for the real estate sector. Meanwhile, around 10,000 people live in precarious housing situations. Lisbon's real estate market is defined by analysts as one of Europe's most dynamic. But at what cost? According to data from the National Statistical Institute, reported by Bloomberg, prices of homes rose 13% between the first quarter of 2021 and 2022. This is the steepest increase since 2010. Although the pandemic shadowed many social issues across Europe, the housing crisis in Lisbon appears to be more relevant than ever. Today, on Europe Talks Back, the housing crisis in Lisbon Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. To the pandemic. We'll be right back. I'm Mariana. I'm 47. I have a son and a dog. I live here for a long time. Always live here. I'm from law, but I work as a management of things, a residence for, for old people with an international group, French group. I went to this school. My son went to this school. Also, we are going to pass now. So I'm very familiar with the, the neighborhood. We met Mariana in her neighborhood, Santo Antonio, in the historical center of Lisbon. It is crossed by Avenida de Libertade, one of the city's main shopping streets, filled with luxury shops, hotels, elegant palaces. Other parts of Santo Antonio, especially the east side, have a way more working class background, though. 
she showed us the contradictions of the neighborhood while we were walking to reach Jardim du Torel, a garden with a stunning viewpoint to the city. This street, it's the same street and you have three names. So this, this little park there, it's uh, Rua das Pretas, it's very known. And uh, at the beginning was a uh, bad uh, people there a long, long time ago. So it was not a street uh, very good to go. <laughs> and then this one that we are now walking in, it calls Rua do Tlhau. And it's most uh, people living here. And now you have this restaurant very attractive to the tourists and everything. And now there's another road, another name of the same street. It calls uh, Rua Santo Antonio. And um, it's funny because the same street, you have different kinds of, uh, how do you say in English? Different kinds of energy, I don't know how to say it. Because there is more people by Rista in the neighborhood. You know, when you have a family feeling when you live a long time in a place, I don't know how to say. In Portuguese, we say by Rista. So it's neighbor feeling, I don't know. Mariana had been living here for 14 years. And she saw the neighborhood changing with the impact of tourism and the arrival of new residents. She describes it as a huge evolution, which carried benefits for Lisbon and the economy. But sometimes she feels like she doesn't belong to her own city anymore. There was a huge evolution uh, because at the beginning it was not uh, very friendly to walk and to pass because of people sleeping there. They still are, unfortunately. But And it was a huge, huge, huge evolution and change with the tourism, with the stores there are in Avenida Liberdade. And you still have this contrast because you have there, and it's not for Portuguese, the stores there, the magazines there are there. You cannot afford it, it's, it's expensive and it's uh, designed for tourism. It was a huge evolution, something mostly for the good, for the city and economy and everything. But somehow you... It's almost like you don't belong anymore. A place where so many tourists and so many people and nothing against the foreigners, nothing to do with it. But the city has changed a lot and sometimes it's like you are not anymore there. <laughs> I don't know. It's a mix of feelings. The evolution Mariana is talking about affected her life directly too. And I used to live here, this street, for 10 years, 10, 11. And then in, because of the tourism uh, a few years ago, all the owners of buildings were selling things and the rents were really high, so I had to leave. And I moved like four buildings up. Because of the rise of the rent, she had to move twice. Like I said, I moved uh, like 14 years ago, 14 for this neighborhood. And then with uh, the economy in Portugal and lots of foreign people getting to start uh, living here and investing here, and the prices all over start to increase. Mariana is referring to the policies implemented in 2011 during the European debt crisis, the deregulation of the housing market and the Golden Visa program which offered residency permits in exchange for real estate acquisitions worth 500,000 euros or more. And we are hopeful that the necessary reforms, painful as they are, will enjoy broad support in the Portuguese society. Although, meanwhile, the Golden Visa program was revised as to not let people invest anymore in the city centers of Lisbon and Porto, which is the second biggest city of the country, these policies played a big role in shaping the situation described by Mariana. 
we'll go back to this in the second part of the episode. So I had a rent, a nice rent, on the street because it was a nice uh, localization near to Avenida da Liberdade that is now the spot of the stores for the tourists and everything. And so they ask people to get out because they want to sell it. And now they sell to a big group. And now they're writing for the double, I think a little bit more double than I was to pay. So we all, the only people who stayed were old people that because of the Portuguese law, you cannot uh, put out after 65 years old. And they are living there for more than 20 years. It's like the people who are living there and using to have a kind of um, way of living, of financial, and that change. The main consequence of the rise of rents and real estate value is local inhabitants being squeezed out from the center and sometimes from the city too. As we already mentioned, a third of houses in Lisbon's historical center are not homes for residents anymore. They are listed on websites for short-term rental services, such as Airbnb. And you see a lot of Airbnb now. The young people, I'm still a little bit young, but the, the young people don't afford to, to pay a rent of 2,000 euros per month. So it's Airbnb or you have to get out from the centers. Mariana is not totally negative towards tourism, but she urges institutions to not forget the local inhabitants of the city. I hope at the same time, and because it's a reality that old people are already talking and they understand that you have to assure the conditions to the people that are the Portuguese that are living there and the ones that are older and don't have money. So I think the way is good. It's good for the city, it's good for the neighborhood, it's, it's a good way for the, also for the economy of Lisbon, the capital. But we have to be careful only this do not uh, forget the people who are there. We'll be right back. Sarah Gainsford is a freelance journalist based in Rome. Her work focuses on housing and urban issues at large, such as tourism, gentrification, and the social impact of these phenomena. She has written several books about the housing crisis. So this is me speaking to Sarah Gainsford. Sarah, thanks a lot for being with us today on Europe Talks Back. Thank you. The reason we brought you in, Sarah, is that we went to Lisbon, to Portugal, and we visited the neighborhood of Santo Antonio, and we encountered local residents, of course, and they touched upon the issue of rising rents and how their lives have changed over the past years, if not decades. So obviously this leads us to the pretty known topic of the housing crisis, which affected Lisbon as well as other cities across Europe. Now we noticed that over the past two years, since COVID-19 started, it seems like many social issues were a bit kind of hidden under the carpet. And therefore, we were wondering if right now in this, let me call it post-pandemic state, admitted that it's over, um, we were wondering, is it still relevant to talk about the housing crisis in Europe today? Yes, there's a, an increasing housing crisis, which has increased with the COVID-19 pandemic, but which has been spreading across Europe, I mean, already before the pandemic. Lisbon is a very good, terribly good, actually, example of, of this housing crisis, which took place in Lisbon in a very violent form within the space of only a few years, actually, beginning in 2008. And it shows, it's a very good example of how housing policies function 
within globalized neoliberal capitalism, because what we're talking about is basically transformation of housing from social space of living into a commodity, so into real estate, basically. This is the conflict which is at the core of the, the housing crisis, the conflict between what we would call home and what we would call real estate. So can you tell us how the housing crisis in Lisbon started? So Lisbon and Portugal in general is a very good example of how public policies have transformed the home into financial assets. And this all began actually, it was linked in fact to the economic crisis of 2008, which was linked to uh, the housing bubble. That was the excuse in Europe to introduce so-called austerity policies to allegedly correct excessive public debt. I mean, that was the narrative surrounding Southern European countries, especially like Italy, Lisbon, uh, the so-called pigs, Spain, countries which have a very high uh, percentage of, of property owners, by the way. And which is the relationship between these austerity measures and housing policies? So these austerity policies meant, for example, that in 2011, the Portugal government signed an agreement for Troika to receive 78 billion euro bailout package from the International Monetary Fund in exchange for implementing very drastic measures to reduce public spending. Among these measures were changes made to the housing sector. So the point, one of the points of this agreement called real estate market, point six of the Troika's memorandum, imposed very heavy revisions of the rental law. That meant that from 2012, there was a new law to stimulate the housing market and urban regeneration measures. So we know uh, when we speak of urban regeneration, this is a term which should mean policies in aimed at improving social and economic conditions of inhabitants, while in fact they often translate into just measures of uh, profit-making, seeking through the real estate sector, through investments in the real estate sector. So let's take a step back. When we say housing crisis, what do we mean by that? I mean, you already mentioned that Lisbon is a specific and really violent case, which might be different from other cases. And I will come to that in a moment, maybe. But if we had to explain what housing crisis means to a person which comes from Mars, how would you explain that? Well, basically, the consequence of a home becoming a financial asset is uh, the fact that homes just become unaffordable, basically. This is a problem of affordability. In Lisbon, for example, we had the end of rent control. I mean, there were a, ser a series, not only in Lisbon, but this is valid for Western countries throughout. I mean, this has happened in every uh, Western country since the 70s, the end of rent control measures, simplified procedures for evictions, and then we'll get to the touristic short-term rentals. But this means basically, let's say very generally, real estate has substituted employment as a means of living as income, basically. So homes have become assets bought not to be lived in, but just to just because of their value, which has increased. So 
This means that the value of homes compared to, for example, minimum wages in many cities has skyrocketed. For example, Portugal has implemented schemes, for example, you know, the, the golden visa program to attract rich foreigners such as, you know, French or North European investors who buy up the homes, you know, they get like citizenship in exchange for investment in real estate. This means the house prices have rose significantly and property values have increased. The figures are quite astounding, like around 2015, 2016. And while the government was implementing, you know, the cuts to social protection measures and the, the, the cost of living was rising, And so this means that the whole housing market is now calibrated for foreign investors and not for the local people whose minimum wage is way too low to have access to the houses that are on the market. So what are the consequences for the people who used to live in these cities? The main consequence of uh, rising rents and rising real estate values is, of course, the eviction of uh, local inhabitants who cannot afford housing anymore. So, you know, in the beginning, they tend to move out of the center, out of city centers, which are, you know, like the most touristic uh, and therefore the, the neighborhoods where real estate values are higher, uh, they move out and they go and live maybe in more peripheral areas. But then we're seeing, what we're seeing in, in these last years is in Italy as well, for example, in Milan, that real estate values are skyrocketing even in these more peripheral areas. Uh, also thanks to, for example, the construction of metro uh, subway lines to connect these uh, areas to the city center. So something that is actually good has a negative effect on real estate values. So the real issue is the fact that we shouldn't build infrastructure like transport infrastructure. The issue is that there is no public control of the real estate housing market. There used to be a control. I mean, this is basically since the 70s, those measures that were in place to protect affordable housing have been dismantled. And therefore, this is the true issue. There is no public control of the private sector. And there has been a shift, basically, from the construction of public council, social housing, however we want to call it, to subsidizing private the private rental sector. So you said that Lisbon is a really violent case. You also explained where it comes from, the housing crisis in Lisbon. I was wondering, how does Lisbon compare to other examples across Europe? I think Lisbon is probably one of the, the worst cases of rapid, violent gentrification of the most central neighborhoods. This The, the process is very similar to, to what, what has happened elsewhere. This is, you know, this, this process basically is, is happening everywhere in many cities across the world. But Lisbon is really striking because of two reasons, because it, it was so rapid, so fast and so violent. And it's an interesting case because the public policies, public measures, which I talked about before, which were aimed at this transformation are so evident or so obvious. It, it's a really good case to show 
that actually these processes of gentrification, which mean the creation of urban space for the rich, basically, if we have to you know, kind of define what gentrification is. This is happening in many, many city centers. But what I was saying is this is not just the result of uh, private interests. In many ways, it's, it is the result of policies, public policies, who use gentrification as an urban policy, basically. So instead of trying to, you know, to solve the housing crisis, to provide affordable housing and at the same time to confront issues such as, you know, unemployment, poverty, you know, social inequalities, all these kinds of issues, policies should focus on these. You know, what gentrification does is it basically substitutes people, you know, the inhabitants with, with more affluent, a more affluent class of people. So you don't have to deal with those problems anymore because you just, you know, you just evict those people, you send them somewhere else. And of course, then everybody's very happy because, you know, the city looks better. It's, you know, it doesn't look that poor anymore. It looks more gentrified but that's not solving the problem that's just pushing it under the rug basically you mentioned the golden visa program earlier in this interview for instance which was enacted by the portuguese government to attract investment and you have mentioned also public housing as something that started being lacking in let's say the range of policies that public that governments would would enact after you know the 80s probably less and less so i was wondering Because specifically on the golden visa, we know that the Portuguese government changed the policy recently impeding foreign investments in the city centers of Lisbon and Porto, for instance, in Portugal. So I was wondering, it seems though that public authorities have over the years recognized there is an issue, there is a problem with this type of economic development. I was wondering, how do you evaluate what has been taken, these measures which have been taken to limit the problem and more generally, What's your take on how the future should look like from a public policy perspective? One thing is, uh, let's start from the, the end, golden visas and an assault by Airbnb basically transformed Lisbon uh, during the past few years. The transformations that occur uh, in, in city centers, the hollowing out of cities basically of, of residents who leave uh, and the transformation into, you know, like a tourism set. Many times these transformations are not reversible. So it's very good that, the, you know, that the government in, in Portugal or the, the mayor in Lisbon have revised the uh, Golden Visa program. But it's really too bad that this wasn't done at the very start. Secondly, I, I wanted to add that basically, and this is in part to answer your question, we need to see housing policies which address the needs of the people living you know, the, these houses. And this, and this should be a very basic, obvious fact, but it's not. So what we need now are housing policies which protect tenants, And which, you know, kind of also they should go back to constructing public housing. Do you see or do you expect anything to happen relevant in terms of market dynamics, which can have an impact, either worsening the housing crisis, for instance, in a city as Lisbon? I know it's a really complex topic because it has to do with the macroeconomy, with interest rates, I guess, with the monetary policy by the ECB, etc., etc. But what can we expect? I think the housing issue uh, will become more and more central because, the, you know, like there's one narrative which presents the housing uh, problem as something that only impacts like the very, very poor. But actually, 
it impacts the whole new generations, for example. This is going to be a major problem in many countries for many, many, many people. And so I honestly can't see how this state of things can just carry on for very long. There, There must be, I mean, there must be some very radical shifts. So I don't have a very clear picture of what's going to happen at the moment because it's very it's very difficult to say but i am i'm quite confident you know in the fact that this will be a major issue for for the generation you know for the for the next generations a lot sustainable and and we'll we'll see this more and more i think sarah thank you very much for your insights on this really important topic thank you if you want to follow the work of sarah gainsford as a journalist and author you can follow her on twitter at sarah egain that's S-A-R-A-H-E-G-A-I-N. And this is it for this week's episode of Europe Talks Back. The producer of Europe Talks Back is Antoine Lereux. Sound design is by Jeremy Bouquet. Editorial background research and arrangement of interviews by Claudio Torrisi. Script writing and interviews in Lisbon by Claudia Torrisi. Editing and mixing is by Jeremy Bouquet and Thomas Kusberg. Promotion and marketing by Katrin Skapedas. My name is Alexander Damiano Ricci. We'll be back next Thursday.